And away we go with the panel on this wickedly hot Wednesday afternoon. Joining us in studio, as he does most Wednesdays, Tom Parkin, post-media national politics columnist with a bluntly social democratic point of view. How's Tom? Good. How you doing? Very good, thanks. Warm enough. Yes, indeed. Dan Moulton, <laughs> consultant at Crestview Strategy, a public affairs agency and former advisor in the McGinty and Wynn governments. Danny, how you doing? I'm doing very well, John. Good Trying to hear. Trying to keep cool. Trying. Right. As we all are. Anthony Fury is back with us, Sun Post media columnist and national comment editor. How about you, Anthony? Always great to be here. All John. right. Good to have you here as well. I've got to start and this is the story we picked up on. There was a presser earlier today, and uh, your friend Tom Merritt-Stiles, who is now, I guess, the NDP's education critic, was lamenting the fact that Doug Ford cut $100 million from the education budget specifically for repairs to, uh, well, the backlog of repairs necessary for the schools across the province. And uh, that's really not a lot of money when you consider uh, the numbers that have been bandied about uh, like 16 billion in aggregate mm-hmm. uh but now the question becomes because this sweltering day has led itself to say some of these schools need ac have to be retrofitted and uh ford has done something irresponsible here uh, as a matter of fact they're even maybe positioning it as somewhat immoral but when you've got uh budgets that you've got to reconcile and a deficit and mm. uh debt, you know, approaching $315 billion, everybody's ox is going to get gored at some point, isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess if Mr. Ford's priority was kids, he wouldn't be given a tax cut to the wealthiest people in the province. Uh-oh. Uh, what does that mean exactly? Well, he wouldn't be giving away $2.3 billion in a tax cut every year that goes to people who make like $200,000, $300,000 a year, uh, when people making 45000 get nothing. And this causes, of course, incredible budget stress. Well, where is this money going to come from? Well, our schools are run down. We all know that. Uh, we go to social housing. We got a social housing waiting list for people who can't afford uh, the rental units, uh, and we got a line from that. In fact, you know that. Well, so has it all it, fallen in Ford's lap? I mean, because it, here you've got fifteen it, it ha- years prior. I mean, a oh, lot of no. things accrued Listen, during we, then. We've been going in this direction for some time. There's no doubt about it. Okay, I mean, on the education really, I would front, say since the mid '90s. Okay, so let me ask. Now you, we're going to take a deep dive. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> all right. It's inevitable. But Dan, uh, let me ask you because you were an advisor with the McGinty and Wynn governments. Uh, they did find money for teachers. Uh, up till recently in the last election, what was it, like $500 million sweetener? I mean, how do you justify that? And now $100 million in backlogs, uh, uh, repair backlogs, can't be addressed. Yeah, well, and a heck of a lot of money that built new schools across the province, put a lot of money into bricks and mortar at our primary education system, our secondary education system, and our post-secondary education system, uh, which is among the best in the world. Uh, So I I think it's a bit rich to say that our schools are crumbling or that uh, the education system is falling apart, because that's not true. Uh, that said, I mean, there is, of course, more to be done. And I think the point that Tom makes that's that's based in reality is that this government uh, is making choices that are in favor uh, of priorities that don't even come close to touching the, the, uh, the education system. And I think that's what's going to be deeply concerning over the coming years is we're going to see increased cuts to education, the quality of our education, uh, and certainly the delivery of that education through bricks and mortar or through uh, the teachers that are employed in this. All right. So the whole infrastructure, as far as the schools, 4,900 in the province, somewhere along the line, uh, they need to be repaired. Is this on Doug Ford now because he's cut the $100 million, Anthony? Well, look, John, just two hours ago at 3.30, my wife picked my son up from kindergarten, and the teacher said, I think he has heat rash just from running around because we don't have an AC issue here. And I don't think that was any political statement. Apparently, a couple kids had some issue in the kindergarten class from all of this. So I guess they've got some sort of problem. I don't know if you can connect that $100 million directly to, you know, kids not doing well and feeling sick when it's really hot. And this is an exceptionally hot day, so you mm-hmm. don't have too many days uh, like this. But look, to 
to Tom's point, infrastructure should be a big issue. It's crumbling, not just in Toronto, but really all across North America, because we're always interested in the shiny new bobble. Now, I get why Doug Ford wants to pause a whole bunch of things, because he wants to go through the fine-tooth comb, make sure there isn't dodgy contracts, and and realign everything to uh, to find two or six or eight percent savings and efficiencies, and and go ahead and do that. Just you know, do it quicker and make sure you do drill down to the infrastructure. Because if if we're going to do anything, John, we got to have the bridges, uh, we got to have the schools, we got to have the hospitals, the physical assets. Well, right, and so you want to fine tune it when the priorities uh, are schools, then the priorities, the actual bricks and mortar of the schools. That that a priority, Dan? Yeah, I think it. I think it ought to be. I'm interested to see if this government puts money where their mouth is on that, though. If they want to talk about improving quality of education, they want to talk about improving the quality of our schools. That's great, but it requires an investment and a capital investment at that. And you know, it's you know, the province has the ability to amortize investments like that over long. Well, where were you guys? You had fifteen years of uh, being education. Well, if you want to make this a partisan issue, we can, and we can talk about the the incredible amount of investment that was put into bricks and mortar uh, for schools across this province. I mean, so how they become so dilapidated? New school. They they haven't become dilapidated. I don't understand this. His friend Merritt Stiles Park and your friend Merritt Stiles says they are. We we, we all know there's a massive TDSB. Uh, repair backlog and, and it's sure. worth mentioning as well that there's a massive backlog in social housing that that uh, the city council is trying to struggle with they don't have the cash to keep it in fact some of the units in social housing are so decrepit now they won't even rent them out and this is at a time when people are in waiting lists for assisted housing you know it, it's, it's not I'm gonna I don't think we can blame a single government or even a single layer of government it is kind of a collective process of forgetting that uh, we pay our taxes to build stuff that makes a great society. And if we just think that, you know, we can give tax cuts to, to wealthy people and that's not going to affect anything, it, it, it is. Is that really the nub of it, though, giving tax cuts to the wealthy, yeah. as you say? Yeah, I mean, that's, really? a, that's a critical part to it. Really? We saw this with... Uh, so we have a, a revenue problem rather than a spending problem. We certainly yes. do. Yeah. Yes, we do. We have a revenue problem. We've got uh, taxes that have been cut for wealthy people, mm-hmm. Mr. Trudeau. We have tax cuts that are coming from Mr. Ford. Uh, that comes on top of um, 14, 15 different corporate tax cuts. It's come after a GST cut of two points, uh, small business tax cuts. I mean, you just line it up. The government is taking in less money, so that's why we spend less stuff. All right, let me get on, to Anthony on, 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 that the, on the infrastructure of every day. So we now we're on. down to the, the groceries instead so of it's trying a revenue to keep the house problem. up. It's pretty simple. I got two numbers for you. Our, our friend Ernie, he tabled his budget in 2003, 2002, pardon me, at $62 billion. Then uh, the final Kathleen Wynne budget was just shy of $140 billion. So you're talking the revenues more and the expenses more than doubling in a 15-year period where inflation, population growth, none of these things uh, get close to that. So there are billions of dollars of both expenses and revenues that don't actually need to be on the till. They should be liquidated and returned to the private sector. And we really need to figure out how did this happen over 15 years that we had this massive institutional mandate creep such that at the same time, we're having problems where the schools are arguably dilapidated. I want to talk about creep of a different sort because I've got a lot of things here, topics worthy of discussion I wanted to uh, charge through. And Dan Moulton, Anthony Fury, Tom Parkin with us. Tom, you wrote a piece in The Sun today. It was actually mm-hmm. interesting yeah. because it was about the Trans Mountain Pipeline mm-hmm. and you called it a result of a failed process. Uh, but some people see it as a rigged outcome from the outset. Obstructionism now becoming sort of part of the resistance. Uh, there is no win-win scenario anymore. It seems like... Uh, 
the zero sum well, game. Uh, yeah. the resistance wins I mean, only if you lose. Yeah, but we got to remember why. You know, speaking of the, the great forgetting, I mean, I watch all these politicians, and this was really the nub of my story. Is you watch all these politicians uh, go on about you know how somebody else is to blame. They were to blame. They were to blame. They were the ones that under Northern Gateway didn't do the consultations with First Nations. They were the ones under uh, Trans Mountain who didn't do the right consultations with First Nations. First Nations. Well, how went, much consultation is necessary? Well, I mean, they it, vetted it, it, all of this it, enough. Enough that the court says you did your job. Now, just you know, and and twice they got they got knocked out of the ballpark on exactly the same score: Harper's pipeline, and then and then Trudeau's pipeline. So it's like, guys, either you take this seriously. Or you don't. And if you don't, it is just going to be like, you will not have success. All right, but Anthony, didn't 80% of the native bands actually support this pipeline? And there you go. It's how serious they took it, that they did not just do consultations, but they signed mutual benefit agreements with 33 First Nations who the land, uh, their land is physically connected to those pipelines. Some of the First Nations who are most vocally opposed, they're (sighs) near the pipeline, but they're not directly running across it. So they have done even more than signing a business deal. I don't know what you call it. That's beyond consultation, John. So, I mean, yeah, the courts ruled how they how they have, and I think they screwed up, and I think we should be free to say that. But, but Anthony, I mean, I mean, everybody's always they can appeal this to the Supreme Court. The Trudeau wants to do that; he can do that. But the last and he one, should say that, and he hasn't announced that. I, yet. He hasn't said Not, that. Rachel Notley but, but, wants but him to. But let's also remember Site C, which is a very controversial project in BC, also was taken to court on exactly this point of failure to consult First Nations. When it went to court. Uh, the court said, "No, you the site C, you did an okay job." Yeah, the, the courts okay. have been the, so. So it yeah. goes some ways. At, at, there was another one, a big ski yeah. hill um, around uh, in Windermere uh, in the in the, in the yeah, Purcell Mountains. Much smaller Mountain, project, the Great Bear yeah. uh, uh, no, no, I think, I think it's called Jumbo Glacier or something right, like that. Right. Same deal. It was put to the same test. So, like guys, yeah. some people are. Well, I was found to be somewhat frivolous because it was the Great Bear Rainforest and the spirit of the Great uh, Rain Bear they, or something like there that. There were two issues at hand. One was the consultation, and one was a religious okay. freedom issue. But but yeah. but the point is simply that like it's not like it's up against the standard that can never be achieved. Dan, what are you regularly? Saying? People are achieving the standard, but uh, but, no, but Harper and now Trudeau keep failing, and it's uh, it's like let's get this. Like, I think it'd be interesting to see this. I think it would be interesting to see this this particular case go to the court to to put that test to it, right? Because I agree with you that the courts have been increasingly uh, leaning towards uh, the need to meet a certain threshold for consultation with First Nations communities, which I think is to the advantage of Indigenous populations in the country and is making up for uh, a great deal uh, of, of past sins. However, um, this this particular case, as Anthony points out, I, I mean, I'm, I'm finding the federal court decisions a little, little hard to believe, and I think it'd be interesting to see it go to the Supreme Court just so we can get further clarity on a recent... It, it, a rather recent it, judicial precedent in this country. And consistency of term. But it was, right. Okay, well, and, and right. those are all good things and why court process I got to get you to hold time. that thought. I want to come back. Uh, we've just got to blow through more topics worthy of discussion. Got a full slate here. You guys are all full value. Appreciate it. We'll look forward to renewing the debate and discussion in a moment here on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We absolutely cannot be held hostage to a regulatory merry-go-round that never ends. We must be able to move forward in a timely way. And so what I plan to do today is uh, to speak uh, uh, pretty substantively with the Prime Minister about the best strategies going forward.